Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Generation Ag. It is Kayla here today with yet another fantastic episode for you. I'm going to jump straight into it by introducing today's guest, Kathy Gabriel. Kathy is currently the manager of Tablelands Pastoral, a Hereford cow-calf operation. She runs their high country property situated in the Tablelands Valley outside Benambra. She grew up in Yay, Victoria on a hobby farm and fell in love with all things agriculture. After finishing school at boarding school in Hamilton, Victoria, she set about learning everything she could about the ag industry. Her pursuit for all things agriculture has led her all around Australia, working in beef, lamb, wool and grain. She chased wild cattle across the far north of Queensland. She's thrown fleeces across many boards around the Hay Plains, sat at the wheel of a header for harvest in the Wimmera and backgrounded cattle at Werribee Agriculture. She documents everything she does along the way as a keen photographer. And although her career has now settled in the high country, where she now owns her very own small beef property with her own herd of Hereford cows, her life adventure takes her overseas racing horses in Mongolia this coming July. This was a fantastic episode. We cover so much, but above all, I was delighted to learn more about the Mongol Derby. Kathy is so brave and so enthusiastic about life, and I think there'll be so much in here. I hope you get something out of it. Here's Kathy. Wonderful. All right. Well, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, start us off. Uh, tell us who are you and what is your connection to agriculture? Yeah. Well, thanks so much to have for having me. Um, so my name is Kathy Gabriel. I'm currently in uh, Benambra, the Victorian High Country. I manage a farm out the Tablelands Valley, which is about 20 minutes from Benambra. Uh, I own my own property up here as well now. Uh, I originally I grew up in Yay in Victoria on a small hobby farm. From there, I went to boarding school in the Western Districts at Hamilton, which is where my love for farming and agriculture really took hold. On weekends, I used to go out to friends' farms because um, I was so far away from home and help with like landmarking and things like that. And that's when I just became obsessed with farming. So the first thing I did when I finished school was I applied to be a Jillaroo on Hamilton Station. I don't even care where it was. It turned out it was um, 110 k's north of Udnadatta uh, in the Simpson Desert. So I couldn't be any more remote if I tried. Um, but it was brilliant. It was a Williams Cattle Company, which is very big in South Australia. Everyone knows Williams. And um, it was perfect. It was family run and it was just the best start to working in agriculture I could get because I was very young. I was 17 and super naive. So to go into a family run property was perfect to be sort of still mothered. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's where I started. And then I've... I've always been a really uh, driven person and I know what I want and I know what I don't want and 
just ever since day dot with working, I just wanted to get as much experience as I could. And so my first uh, 10 years, I'd say working in ag, I worked in any ag industry I could. As soon as I didn't like the job or didn't like the people, I would leave and go to the next one. And it's not because I wasn't a stayer. It's just because I knew that I was only young once and you could only do that when you're young. And I worked all around Australia. I lived out of my car. I had a couple of Kelpie dogs and a swag and it was just the best thing I could have done. I worked up north contracting mustering cows, I've worked in shearing sheds, I've worked on wool-based properties, I've worked on fattening lamb-based properties, I've worked in a backgrounding industry at Werribee Agriculture, yeah, and then eventually I've settled and I've definitely firmly planted roots on the property I currently manage and where I am now. So that's sort of like a brief background. I'm excited to ask you for way more detail about all of that stuff um, in a little bit. But I just want to go back to your childhood for a second. So you grew up on a hobby farm in Yay. Like, what do you recall from that time? And what do you think are some of the threads that were sewn really early for you that started to build your connection into agriculture? Horses. Uh, that's, that's always been my obsession. And when I was a kid, I had horse socks, horse shirts, horse T-shirts. And then when I finally got my first pony, if I wasn't riding my pony, I was drawing pictures of my pony with various different backgrounds. Uh, I would buy anything with a pony. So that was my childhood. There, I have bags and bags and bags of ribbons where mum carted me to all the horse events, bless her. And yeah, so that was my childhood. I was just horse mad. And I was really fortunate to grow up where we could do that. Mum was interested in horses. We weren't like a super horsey family. Mum was not like right up there in her levels of like knowledge and competition on horses. She just liked horses. And then she was lucky enough to have a daughter that became obsessed. (laughs) And and then, well, with the hobby farm, mum was always into getting, we used to get potty calves from the local uh, like livestock markets. We always had potty calves kicking around or potty lambs that we got off farmers and always had dogs heaps of chickens veggie patch gardening mum was right into gardening so we I really had that holistic background of like you eat seasonally and the potty calves were there and they were cute when they were little but when they grew up we did kill them and that was our meat and the same with the potty lambs so I had a really holistic background in everything that I was a part of like we either consumed or nurtured and raised in that. So that was sort of like my childhood background. Very, now I look back, I see just how lucky I was to have that as a childhood. And you just take it, well, you're a kid, you just take it for granted. But even like, even people I've worked with didn't have that background. Like my partner currently never had chickens growing up. And I was like, how have you never had chickens? (laughs) Yeah, anyway, but. Yeah, I was really lucky, really fortunate childhood. It sounds like it. Do you have siblings? Yes, I have an older brother. He's quite a bit older, though. He's seven years older than me. And he was motorbike mad. So it was the classic, like, horse versus motorbike and the arguments of which is better. Or, like, because my brother was older, he would always argue that horses cost more than motorbikes. And I was a kid, so I had no idea on costs. And I was like, no, they don't. But now I'm an adult and I have to 
pay for my own horses and I'm like yes they they do cost more (laughs) (laughs) I love that that's amazing um and horses have obviously followed you right through your journey um it's quite obvious from following you on social media you know you love your horses and that you're able to work with them but also enjoy that the recreational side of things as well and we'll definitely get into the mongol derby later because i think that's so cool but maybe just talk to us you've got quite an extensive work experience uh list on your resume talk to us about some of the really standout experiences that you've had working in the industry yeah like I don't know if it would be anyone's first job, but for me, like Hamilton Station, Williams Agriculture Company, they were like the first standout because they were. it was just such a beautiful place to work. They really actually cared a lot for their workers. Like I remember I cut my leg and the level of care given for a cut on your leg was a bit over the top. But like, yeah, it, it was such a nurturing environment to be in that first time. And that is where the love of the Hereford cow started for me uh, because they were Herefords and now I have my own Hereford. So that's where that started. And then the next standout property, by far my best boss I've ever had was Werribee Agriculture which is just south of Melbourne, north, yeah, south of Melbourne, north of Geelong. And Werribee Ag is very city orientated, but it's the facility of Melbourne Water. It's where they do industry and sewage treatment of all the water and sewage stuff. Anyway, so it sounds gross. But with that, they've got, I think it's about 36,000 acres of land and it's all flood irrigated with all the treated water. And so... You wouldn't know it when you're driving down the freeway heading to Geelong, but everything on your left-hand side is a massive backgrounding property. And at the time, elders had the lease. So we worked for Werribee Agriculture, but elders were like who we were sort of working for. And we backgrounded feedlot cattle for Charlton Feedlot. And the fellow who was running that was a bloke called Laurie Fitzsimmons, and he is by far the best boss I've ever had. He just was a beautiful person and just really knew how to manage and also how to treat staff in such a way that like, yeah, I, I, I feel like it would be one of those jobs where if it wasn't in Melbourne, you would be there until the day you died. And, and a lot of the employees were like some of the workers like had been there for 38 years. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And that was a really, I learned the most from that place too. I really learned the nuts and bolts of their ag industry and more specifically the beef industry because we weren't just backgrounding cattle for Charlton Feedlot, but we were backgrounding cattle for Russian export or China export. And then at one stage, dairy heifers were coming onto the place and we were backgrounding the dairy heifers for Chinese export. And so you've got to really learn just what goes into the industry as a whole and not just like, oh, we just fatten cows to eat cows or whatever, like your narrow-minded context might be at that stage. And because of the type of property it was, it was really heavy on education and low-stress handling. And we did use working dogs, but we did working dog schools. And so because of that, you just it was such a great foundation. And I was there when I was at 20 and 21 is when I was at that property. And that set me up for everything I do now and everything I did in between but like I still draw on Melbourne water and what I learned there or Werribee Ag whatever you call it like weekly all the time everything always correlates back to 
Werribee Agricultural and things I learned there because you just understand that when I talk to the stock agent now and I say, hey, I've got 60 wiener heifers and he's like, oh, well, there's a boat going to Russia. Not that that's happening at the moment, but um, I, I can go, oh, ex- I know exactly what you guys need for that because I know the weights and the specifications of what those cattle are and, yeah, and we can aim for those markets too because of it. So, yeah, and those are probably my two standout ones and the property I work now is the next one because uh, everything in between was all just little stepping stones and they weren't necessarily like brilliant jobs. It was more the bad, what I learned, what you don't want to look for in a job and like experiences gained phenomenal. And there was some brilliant people I worked for, but there was always either like massive pay issues or management issues or something that went with it. But yeah, so those are probably my three standouts, like the property I work for now is phenomenal brilliant brilliant job I'm keen to know in all that sort of time of you know transition and moving around and trying different things did you always have a clear picture in your mind of what you wanted out of your future I mean you talked before about being quite clear and knowing what you want but I I wonder with all that change like there has to be this thinking of I'm not too sure where I'm going to end up no I never knew where I was going to end up um, only six months before I moved to where I currently am, I was thought I would have settled around like Rockhampton area, to be honest. I, I, I guess it's hard to explain, but just when I was that age, when I was like 17 years old to 25, I just didn't really care about when I was like 40 years old, what I was doing. I just knew that this was my time to get all the experience. So even I was chopping and changing and working here and dipping my toe in the sheep industry and then going and working in beef and then going back to the sheep industry, I knew that it was all foundational to support me of when I did find somewhere to settle. And I guess for the last, like the last three years of when I was traveling, I, I was trying to find that spot and that industry that I wanted to settle in. And just when I thought like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. I'd be like, no, this is actually not what I want to do. Like you're not having me for this long. Um, So yeah. And I think that that's important for people in any industry working. It doesn't hospitality or agriculture. It doesn't matter. Like you don't have to pick something and be like, well, this is it till I die. Like that's it. Like you don't have to do that. And it's, and now times have totally changed now. Not that I'm that old, but I know it was like, I'd have bosses say, hey, this doesn't look great on your resume. And I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I just, I did not care. I really just didn't care because I guess I was just really lucky. I just had the mindset of like, well, I don't have to work in ag forever. And if this does relate poorly, I'll go and do something else. Like, but like my love was always agriculture, but yeah, it just never, it never phased me. And I knew that what I was doing was just like setting up the foundation. And that was sort of my mindset was just like, I'll try everything while I can, because when I'm older, I know that I can't. So. And how do you think that approach has set you up now? I mean, you talked before about how often you feel like you use some of that experience from Werribee Ag, but how, how do you think all that experience has really played out for you where you are now? Every day, every day I wake up and realise how lucky I am to live and work in what I do now because 
because I tried so many different things and I had bad bosses and I had good bosses and I had bad management and I had bad other people I was working for, or I had really good days and really great people. And then all the experiences of learning how to muster wild cattle up in the Northern Territory to moving cell grazing down at Werribee Agriculture to throwing fleeces on wool tables to fattening fat lambs off a pivot, all of those little things all come into just like the catalogue in your mind that you just forever drawing upon throughout every single day when you're working. Like it just can be as simple as you're just driving around and looking at pasture, but everything you've gained from when you were up in the Northern Territory looking at highly phosphoric deficient soils to when you were on that pivot Lucerne irrigation, all of those, even though they're so diverse, they come in and it just gives you such a great understanding for everything that you're that you're looking at and that you're managing and it's and all those experiences lead me to be able to handle and deal with people a lot easier because I I know what it's like to be spoken to like you're nothing and it's not nice and it doesn't matter how bad of an employer you might be you're like no one you're a person you don't deserve to be ever talked to in a way that's like discouraging or made to feel silly and I don't care if you don't know anything or if you took my simple um, my simple context of like, hey, can you go open that gate and you stuff that up? Well, yeah, that was silly, but you're not silly because of it. And I think that that's really important because so many people leave the industry and never look back because they had that dickhead boss <laughs> that treated them in such a sh- shitty way. I don't know if I can swear, but yeah, it's just... And, and that's all the things that, that come together every day for me. So, yeah. No, I think that that's so valuable and such great advice to any of the younger listeners, I think. We talked a bit about memorable experiences before. I want to ask you about pivotal ones or pivotal moments, you know, good or bad, when you look back at, you know, your journey so far. What are the big changing points in your trajectory? I guess. After I worked at Melbourne Water, I went up and I was working on a oh, it was a sheep and cattle, but primarily like Merino-based property. It was north of Kanaga, a property called Walura. And it was like another farmhand role. And I was working there and I had a brilliant manager and I loved the place, but the pay was very bad, like really, really below standard. And yes, accommodation was provided and there was perks to the job, but it was still like yeah, you still knew that they were getting more than their bang for buck out of, out of your work time. So I was there for nearly two years. And the pivotal moment came when I handed in my resignation, basically. And what I was going to do is go and browse about because I had loved the sheep industry because of Willura, uh, because we used to we used to do fat lambs there. We had some crossbreds, but we had a ram shed of like the stud rams that we would sell. And we used to go around to ram sales and that. And I got really heavily into merinos and I loved it. loved the working dog aspect of it all. And I wanted to continue with that, but I never knew anything about shearing sheds. All I ever did was backline the sheep when they came out or fill up the pens. I never did any other part of in the shed. And I knew that to take that next step into overseeing a sheep property, that I had to know what happened in a shearing shed. So I handed in my resignation and there had been previous talks to like pay 
something has to give and they weren't going to budge. So I was like, well, I'm not going to stay for this pay. And so I handed him my resignation and the boss was like, well, what are you going to do now? And I was like, oh, well, next week I start rouseabouting for Steve Cheering and I'll do that for a month or two and have a look around for another sheep property when it pops up. And the boss was like, oh, that is the worst decision you could make. What a step down. He said, that will reflect so poorly on your resume and it'll be really difficult to get back into like farmhand role and then furthering on as an overseer. And then he said, the next thing that will never, ever leave my mind, he said, and Kathy, because you are a female in this industry, regardless of experience, you have to wait five years longer if you ever want to oversee or manage a property. And I went, okay. And I took that and it is still a fierce flame that burns within me. (laughs) And I don't know how to say that, yeah, sometimes those comments hurt, but my God, they can shape you into someone who is just so determined to prove every single one of those people wrong. And I proved him very, very, very wrong too, because not only was going and rouseabouting the best decision I could have made, because I did, I rouseabout and I learned how they shear a sheep and I learned the ends of what goes into shearing and what the shearers are complaining about because what the stock hands or what the overseer is not doing to accommodate the shearers. And I learned everything that goes on in a shearing shed. I learned what the cluster does and the wool bales are going in and they're going out. And I learned all of it. And then within six months, I was overseeing a sheep property. <laughs> so I, yeah, I cannot... Under, like you can't underestimate that even though you you're working for a person who is a good person and they are a good manager but if they have a value such as you're a female you have to just wait well no like move if you've got the experience and the skills and the mindset it doesn't matter if you're a girl like you're still more than capable of doing that job so that is definitely one of the pivotal moments for me like the biggest one I would say yeah yeah nothing stands out more than that because oh it, even just now it just makes me like almost angry when I tell that story <laughs> yeah I can imagine oh my goodness yeah it's interesting because you certainly hear stories like yours and it's easy to think that it's not commonplace but I suppose the fact that there are people who speak up and talk about this sort of thing that there is a, a bunch of other things that happen that just isn't talked about oh absolutely like massively like that is the main one that was the fire in my belly because it was someone that I really looked up to that I really loved working for and that I had a lot of respect for and I still do in a work capacity but I don't have the respect and the look up to in his like values I guess yeah um I would say that like I don't dislike the bloke at all and but I don't love him (laughs) anymore but yeah like there is so many Oh, yeah. I I think it's just a given that if you are a female in this industry, regardless of horticultural, grain, sheep, wool, beef, it doesn't matter what part of the industry you, you are in, you are more than other industries going to come up against the whole 
male female agenda and I'm not a high-flying feminist I don't run into a workplace and go I'm a female like hear me roar but I like you just see it so many times over and over again and you're just like come on like it's 2022 like we're past this we're, we're more than aware that females yeah we're not as strong as males but you know our superpower is overthinking things <laughs> because we overthink things yeah. we plan we plan things really really well because of that and it makes us very meticulous managers because we do overthink everything and it's one of my biggest um commendable attributes I guess is because I am a massive overthinker but because of that I can manage the property I manage exceptionally well because I think of every tiny little detail and I make sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and yeah things go wrong like you're dealing with cows things always go wrong but you've got like the stupid things don't go wrong and I think that that's a most females can definitely fly the flag of overthinking and um yeah <laughs> Most definitely. Um, You talked to mindset just before, and I want to ask you about that, obviously, mental health and living in isolation and such remote areas. And I imagine with all the travel that you've done, you've probably not had a huge community, like a community with your friends that have stayed with you the whole time. What is that? What's your journey with mental health been like over that period? Yeah, well, in terms of that sort of stuff, I guess it's just my personality. (laughs) I was like, you can't plug my mouth. Ever since I was a kid, all I did was talk. And mum can attest to that. Like, all I did was talk as a kid. And, like, I remember when I changed schools from yay high school going down to boarding school. And I just, all I did was talk. So I just, like, instantly made friends. Whether they like it or not, I'm your friend. And that was, like workers or managers I should say in every job review when I change in jobs around and that would always say well how are you going to handle coming here like you don't know anyone and I'm like mate I've had 10 other jobs where I didn't know anyone like I just go to the pub on a Friday night and I meet people and that's it, it was never been a part of an issue for me of like yeah I've never been I'm a shy person in one respect, but I'm not a shy person as in like I, I won't go and not talk to people. I guess it's like most people, like if there's senior authorities, I'm not going to walk up to them and be like, hey, <laughs> my name's Kathy. Like I don't do that. But, yeah, if there's like people that look similar to me all standing around, I will just walk up to them <laughs> awkward if anything probably and be like, hey, why to be my friend? And yeah, that's what I've always been like. Only last year I went to a camp draft where I knew no one at this camp draft. And then Saturday night, beers at the bar, I just went up to the bar. I don't even drink alcohol anymore. Went up there with my raspberry lemonade and there was two girls standing there. So I just walked up to them and I was like, hey, how are (laughs) you? And yeah, it's sort of awkward to start with, I guess, but people just have to accept it that I'm going to talk to you. So, yeah, so that's never been a concern. I have dealt with, like, serious mental case, uh, mental case, probably, mental health issues, Um, but they were very much, like, situational based to things that had occurred. When I was in the Northern Territory, I had a boyfriend and he got hit and killed by a car. So I went into a very serious uh, depressive state after that. But that was that was 
very much, not so much because of isolation, but just because I, I couldn't handle grief and I didn't know how to handle grief. So I have dealt with mental health concerns and issues, but it was never because of isolation or being in a new place. Um, yeah. Thank you for being so candid. I want to switch tack entirely now and get to what I think is just the most cool thing ever, the Mongol Derby, right? Yes. Let's talk about it. For the, for most of us who have no idea what that is, why don't you give us the spiel, talk about your first experience, and then we'll get into your plans for this year. Yeah, well, the Mongol Derby kind of leads into what we were just talking about with mental health because so um, not long after my partner was killed, a year later, my mum got a diagnosis of uh, cancer, terminal, and she was only given 12 months to live. And so that was just another huge blow to my personal life. And I had just moved in with my current partner in this area, Benambra, and I was like, oh, my God, like, again, like, like kick a girl when she's down kind of, like, how the hell can I handle this? Anyway, and I ended up, like, seeking professional help and going down that path and really got to terms with, like, how to deal with grief. And, like, it was a lot of, a lot of, I don't even know how to describe it. I just really came to terms with, like, life and death. And even though I was a kid, like, living on a hobby farm and watching potty lambs die because you can't help them and that you still don't understand grief until it really affects you like on a very personal level and with mum's death it was so different because it was cancer selfishly like I had time to come to terms with her passing away before it actually happened and this is all what leads to the Mongol Derby was I was thumbing my phone as we all thumb our phones, even though we all think we're amazing and don't. But I was thumbing my phone one day, flicking through Facebook, and a Mongol Derby post popped up. And it was because of my ties back to the Northern Australian beef industry. Our fella called Will Kaminsky had won the Mongol Derby. And I was like, oh, what's this? Like, that looks pretty cool. Anyway, and I looked at the post and I was like, Will, I was like, oh, he used to run like a contracting camp, like mustering cows and that. I was like, oh, yeah, righto. And I was like, what is the Mongol Derby? And then I found out it's a 1,000K horse race across Mongolia riding up to like 30 different horses and you navigate your way around the bus area that is Mongolia. And the whole challenge is your abilities as a horse person to select a horse within your capabilities of horsemanship and get that horse from point A to point B safely because it's heavily vetted in that and I was like that's really cool like wow what an amazing thing to do and um I was talking to mum on the phone was I did every day and I was yarning to mum about it and I was like hey there's like apparently there's this big horse race that happens in Mongolia every year like I never heard of it she's like oh wow that's so cool she's like oh I remember like your fascination with Mongolia when you were younger and it was because Way back in 2004, mum and me watched the TV series Long Way Round, which was a motorbike series of Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman rode their motorbikes from England around the world, not Australia, around the world to America. And they rode through uh, Kazakhstan, Mongolia and Siberia. And when they were riding through Mongolia and the episodes on that, I was fascinated. It was like such a far away land and it was so different and I thought it was so cool and that was back like when I was a kid and then fast forward to this and then mum 
triggered the memory of the long way round. And I was like, oh, that's right. I remember. And then I delved further in and I was like, I think to enter that, you'd have to be like an exceptional horse person with all these credentials to be able to enter a race like that. And Will Kaminsky, I think the relative is he's Pete Kaminsky's nephew. Pete's huge in the horse world, um, massive, massive camp drafting bloke. So I was like, oh, well, that's how Will got in because he's Pete Kamensky's nephew, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and then I went online and I realised, no, no, you just fill out a form online if you're silly enough and you send that in and then you get drafted into a yes-no pile. And if they think they like you, you get in the yes pile and then they call you for an interview and say, like, hey, like, why are you stupid enough to do this race? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, well, you know, sort of give it a crack. And, um, and yeah, and that's how I ended up doing the Mongol Derby was because mum basically told me to because <laughs> there is a hefty uh, entry fee to this. And with mum's passing, mum had life insurance. And I said to mum before she obviously passed away, I was like, hey, would you care if I happened to blue, like, a, a good chunk of that? <laughs> overseas on a stupid horse race and she's like oh no you'd be silly if you did it so yeah so that's how the mongol derby came about like i i got to do the race on mum's blessing mum unfortunately passed away before i got to do the race but it was a very emotional journey the mongol derby that in that first year it was huge um yeah i can't describe what that race meant to me then because I was carrying everything from my partner's death Mick and then carrying mum and then landed in Mongolia and I still kind of had no idea what I was doing when I got there I was like blown away by Mongolia because it was just such a wild wild land with wild people and it was like the time of my life but it was so emotional I just yeah and I really it really like just gave me the gift of life back doing that race because although I was like living my life and doing stuff and I had this amazing job that I have now like nothing I just was just blah everything was like meh and and that that derby that race just gave me everything back because I just picked up this zest for like oh my god that's right I used to love doing things on a whim and I used to love going on adventures and doing all this stuff and then how lucky that now I'm capable to go on adventures and do cool stuff that's now overseas thanks to mum so that's what the Mongol Derby was for me back in 2018 but halfway through it I ripped my shoulder blade out and I had to pull out of the race um, and my whole background is I also do photography. I've documented my whole life through everything. Um, so when I got injured, I went back into Ulaanbaatar, which is the main city, into hospital. Had a very funny moment of standing half naked with a Mongolian nurse, like yelling at me at an x-ray machine <laughs> to turn. And I couldn't understand. Mo- anyway, I couldn't understand Mongolian. She's telling me to turn and that and then, just after that, I got my blessed camera back from hotel storage and went back out onto the race and I travelled with the crew and did a heap of photography. And then that is like really just lit another fire in me of I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much, Mum, for giving me this opportunity because the race was one part of it. But that second part of travelling with the crew and really getting to sit down with these Mongolian families and 
talk to them to an extent and interact with their kids and just hang out and slow down because the race is very fast like and you are obviously racing horses you're not like poking around so to really absorb Mongolia and and like everything I do with my photography is telling a story to really be able to capture the story that was in that I was seeing and that was in my mind was so special so yeah and then well that injury has led me to I am now doing it again um, because I have to finish it I can't I can't not finish this bloody thing so yeah I was supposed to race back in 2020 but that was the apocalyptic year so yeah here we are (laughs) it sounds incredible crazy but absolutely incredible I'm you must be so proud of yourself for doing it the first time and I can't imagine how it feels preparing to go back a second when when do you go and where can people follow your journey yeah so I leave I fly out July 7th yeah, July 7th, I fly out. Um, the race isn't until July 23rd, but I'm going over and doing, now I have friends in Mongolia and I'm doing a heap of photography stuff over there for the first few weeks before the race. But the race starts July 23rd. It's 10 days, but normally the winner finishes in seven days. Um, you can follow me on my socials. I have a public Facebook page, Kathy Gabriel. you can find me on that. And then Instagram, obviously, Kathy Gabriel on Instagram. And we're right in the depths of heavy training now like this last two months before I fly out is lots of endurance type work and riding horses and that so the old Instagram stories is about to be inundated with lots of um, rather funny things probably too because it's me and my life is a comedy along the way so I happily share the funny things that occur because I am on my own a lot and if I find something funny I have to share it so thank god for phones you can video yourself and share the funny story but yeah and that's the best way to follow there's mongol derby pages as well but I'll have someone like posting stuff to my pages so you can follow along and then after the mongol derby is when the real fun begins because then I can then I can really share the story of what happens this time in Mongolia. Because last time, at one stage, I was stuck in a van in a flooded river and it was hilarious. And, um, yeah, so I'm hoping things like that happen again. (laughs) Well, we can't can't wait to watch. I can't wait to see. I've just had my eyes open to this whole thing. It's very cool. Um, Normally, a last question would be about, you know, where can people get in touch and follow your journey? But you've just given that. But So I want to ask you, you know, when you look back and think about it, everything you've been through and everything that you've experienced, flip it forward, what does that look like for you? What What is the future? Uh, I only had this moment yesterday. I was tagged in a Facebook post of like a memories and it was eight years ago to the date. I was in a gorge in northern Queensland. It was I was working for a contracting team. And we had one day off and we went to this gorge and it was a photo of the three girls I was working with. They were all standing in the gorge in the water and it was like, that was the photo. And I was like, eight years ago, God, that doesn't seem long. I was like, so much can change. Like so much can change in, well, even five years. But eight years ago, that's where my life was. I just had a car with a team of dogs and a swag and I would just drive around and do whatever I felt like more or less. So in another eight years, like who the bloody hell knows, really? (laughs) Um, I can say I'm still going to be where I am now because I have purchased my own farm and I have my own house and everything on it. I love 
I love having my own place where I really have roots. So I can guarantee you that if you come to Benambra, you will find me. (laughs) But in terms of like what I'm doing with my life, who knows? Like I could be doing all sorts of cool things, hopefully. (laughs) So yeah, but to anyone like starting out in the ag industry, like you don't know where you're going to be in a year, let alone five years. So, you know, what my mum always used to say is just be happy. And I can't stress that enough to anyone, even just working in the ag industry. If you like, I'm not saying all quit, but if you're in a job and you're miserable, like honestly, life is too short. Like you've just got to be happy. Like you don't have to stay in a job because you've just finally got that job in ag. Like you can move on. And the ag industry is screaming out for workers. Like go and find that workplace where you're valued and where they cook really good food because it's so much better than working in a miserable place where everyone's sad and you get treated poorly. Like it's just, yeah, life's too short. Be happy. Incredible advice. Um, Kathy, thank you so much for joining me from your car on the side of the road, I think. Whereabouts are you? (laughs) I had to park out of town because if I parked in Benambra, I was worried that locals would be like, walk up and be like, hey, how's the cows going, cows? So I had to park out of town. But I had to get phone service because I have Wi-Fi. But anyone who has SkyMesh Wi-Fi will know how terrible it is. So you cannot do podcasts, Zoom stuff on it. You have to drive to phone service. So, yeah, I drove into town. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. It's absolutely been, you've been so candid. And I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm open book. Always have been, always will be. So, yeah, I love this stuff. It's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.